What's up, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Wrestling with Johnners. This is episode 63, and today is a special AEW All Out pay per view review show. So I'm joined by um, a, a guest host that uh, was one half of the double act that uh, helped us out with AEW's inaugural pay per view back in May, double one, I think, uh, Chris Thornton. So, Chris, uh, welcome back to the podcast. Great to have you on board for the All Out pay per view. How are you? Hi, John. I'm really good. Thank you. Yeah, welcome uh, to me back again on the show. Uh, very pleased to be back here. Uh, I'm very excited to be talking about what I thought was a great pay-per-view. It really was. It really was. We'll quickly touch upon what happened in the, the buy-in portion of the show. Obviously, you had the, the 21-woman uh, casino battle royale. Um, the, the final four in that battle royal was quite interesting. It came down to Mercedes Martinez, who, who drew the, the Joker card, uh, Nyla Rose, Britt Baker and B Priestley. So just to go through some of the key spots there, Britt Baker eliminates um, Mercedes Martinez with a super kick off the ring apron. Uh, Nyla Rose splashes B Priestley and Britt Baker in the corner. Baker then nails Priestley with the standard destroy in the center of the ring. Um, but in the end, it came down to B Priestley getting eliminated, holding on to Britt Baker's arm, allowing Nyla Rose for the early, easy and early elimination of uh, uh, Britt Baker. So Nyla Rose uh, becomes the, the winner of the women's 21 women casino battle royal and the first number one contender for the AEW Women's Championship. Um, so uh, um, what's your quick thoughts on Nyla Rose winning the casino battle royal and being the first number one contender? A little bit of a surprise considering Britt Baker was uh, the obvious uh, favourite going into it. But give us your brief thoughts on that, Chris. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I was uh, I was expecting Britt to win. Uh, truth be told, she was the favourite. I'm quite a fan of her. But Nyla Rose is already getting over with the fans. Uh, she is very different in so many ways. And whether or not they're going to keep pushing her as a face, I think some of the backstory they've had with her certainly gives her that support. Um, I think they did make her look like a monster, definitely the strongest competitor. So, yeah, I think moving forward, Nyla Rose, will she actually make it and become the first ever AEW Women's Champion? It looks likely. It looks likely based on that performance. They've really set her up well. Bit of a surprise. Great to see some of the old faces in there. Jazz, ODB. Uh, but in terms of the winner itself, Nyla Rose, yeah, spot on, I think. I think they've gone with the right choice there. Definitely. And to cap off the buy-in portion of the pay-per-view, you had Private Party uh, versus Angelico and Jack Evans. So the end of the match occurred when Isaiah Cassidy flipped Jack Evans off the top rope with a flying head scissors, sending Evans into a cutter from Mark Quinn for the pinfall victory. So after the match, Jack Evans and Angelico uh, attacked Private Party from behind, appearing to injure uh, the Private Party ahead of the start of the tag team tournament, which starts on the, the second uh, TNT show Wednesday Night Dynamite uh, so in a few weeks time there um, and then we're introduced to a new character called uh, uh, Wardlow I think that's how you pronounce it uh, a bit of a slow motion street fighter style uh, promo video for this new character this new individual who beats up several individuals and looks pretty good in doing so so a nice introduction to this new character uh, that will be debuting on AEW's TV show no doubt but uh, your quick thoughts on Private Party versus Angelico and Jack Evans quite a, an action packed fast paced match to close off the buy-in portion of the show yeah exactly the kind of match they need and it's typical of this kind of kickoff or buy-in show i think to, to bring the energy up with a good tag team match uh private party are young but they're growing every day you can see i mean picked by the young bucks you know they've got a lot of investment in these guys uh, there's a real chemistry a real natural chemistry with these two and yeah i do think they're going to be future stars there whether or not this 
um, injury, it's kind of kayfabe, and they, they keep pushing that, and they're not in the tournament. We'll see. It's good to see a heel turn. I think we need some more heel turns. Uh, so Helico and Jack Evans uh, will certainly play that part. Uh, as for the debut of this new TV character, I can imagine him coming in perhaps in the main event of uh, the, the TV show to perhaps ruin things. So, yeah, I think they'll introduce him in a new way. Don't know anything about him. That's just how I like it, though. And I think it's going to be uh, big things, obviously, moving forward, having that wonderful kind of production video put behind him. Yeah, and it was it was uh, like I say uh, these sort of videos really help uh, wrestling fans like me and you get invested in the characters before we see them on uh, our TV screens instead of them going in cold with their debut match. Um, and uh, yeah, it's nice to kind of understand the character of these new uh, individuals before we see them in the flesh. So uh, yeah, a nice way to introduce uh, Wardlow or however you pronounce it uh, to the AEW audience. And then we go straight into our main uh, show of AEW All Out. So obviously our commentary team is Jim Ross, Golden Boy and Excalibur. So a nice combination there. Um, the first match going into it is SCU versus Luchasaurus, Jungle Boy and Marco Stunt. So uh, we know that you're a big SCU fan. Do you want to give SCU a bit of a shout out there, Chris? SCU? <laughs> um, so th- this was a good match. And uh, personally, I'm really invested in the, the, the gimmick and the team of Luchasaurus and Jungle Boy with the addition of Marco Stunt there. Um, I like kind of the idea and the story of uh, a boy and his dinosaur. So, uh, yeah, c- kind of characters that you can that are likable and that you can get uh, invested in but they're going up against the much more experienced SCU with Christopher Daniels Kazarian and Scorpio Sky so uh, uh, give, give us your thoughts on, on this match here Chris before we go into kind of how it uh, how it ended um, and the winners but uh, give us your thoughts on this one what, what did you think of this match yeah great opening match um, I'm a big fan of six-man tags always have been uh, to be honest, um, I think you're, you're right. There's a gimmick there that people can really instantly kind of understand and get behind. Um, I think Luchasaurus has some tremendous athleticism. There was a standing moonsault that just shocked me. Even watching it back today, again, it just surprised me when he pulled it off. Uh, Stunt has a very unique look. Uh, so does Jungle Boy as well. They're both very diminutive uh, in their stature uh, compared to the massive Luchasaurus. So they certainly have an interesting gimmick. And sometimes in a world of kind of black trousers, long hair, heels, it's it's nice to, you know, to, to see a, some unique characters. I wasn't initially sold on them, but like most fans, I'm very slowly uh, getting on board the Dino Express. Um, and um, massive fan of SCU, always have been, always will be. They are great at this kind of gatekeeper role of bringing up new talent. Um, they are kind of, I think, transitioning more now, which is why I was surprised to see them win. Um, but, you know, yeah, Scorpio Sky, he is the one character I think that needs to break out from that. Much as it would break my heart to see the team uh, disband, I think he is a future single star. And the aging Kazarian and Daniels have certainly had their time not to take anything away from him. But yeah, I think it's uh, perhaps uh, sooner or later time to break up the band, unfortunately. Makes me very yeah. sad to say. Well, uh, I think you're absolutely right. And uh, I think... Christopher Daniels and Kazarian certainly have a future within the tag team ranks but Scorpio Sky is certainly the, the standout star is a little bit younger than the other two I think he's got a fantastic look great ability in the ring and I think that he's one that AEW could really make a new star out of and uh, push as a singles competitor but in this match uh, Luchasaurus demonstrates his amazing striking ability flooring all three of his uh, opponents with a combination of kicks before getting a close near fall from a choke slam and standing moonsault combination so for a big guy definitely 
very, very agile. Kazarian and Daniels draws a close to this match, however, with a, a double and best Meltzer driver ever on both Jungle Boy and Marco Stunt at the same time, getting the pinfall on Marco Stunt. So uh, then we get hang, handshakes all round between these two teams as we get to another win for SEU in this opening six-man tag at All Out. But uh, moving on to the second match of the night, and I was surprised that uh, these two very famous, uh, well-known international superstars were second on the card, uh, but it was the bastard pack versus Kenny Omega. Um, so uh, when you found out this was going on second, Chris, was you a little bit surprised as I was? Yeah, I was. I was. Um, but I think uh, considering, yeah, perhaps the original plans of John Moxley versus Omega, maybe potentially co-headline the show. I think this may have been a bit of a last minute reshuffle. Uh, we had a week or so out before um, that injury was kind of made known, I think. Um, and um, they probably had to scramble. But uh, you would never know that these two didn't have any time to prepare because it was tremendous match. Really vicious, really sharp. And the fact is, yeah, I think they, they've done a bit of a, uh, an injustice by having it on second. Uh, but maybe that's what exactly you need at the start of the show to, to keep those fans interested. Mm, definitely. So this match was full of highlights. This is a bit of a dream match between these two wrestlers who, as uh, Chris rightly mentioned, haven't been in the ring together in a wrestling match. Uh, the chemistry between these two is just insane. Uh, Pac sends Omega to the outside, but Omega slides back into the ring before Pac could uh, make any move or capitalise. Then Omega sends Pac to the outside. However, Pac catches Omega on the way down from a dive, throwing Omega into the barriers at ringside. Not once, not twice, but several times with the referee clearly not implementing any technique count rule on this uh, particular segment Omega then connects with a baseball slide and a swanton over the top rope onto Pack to great effect uh, Pack then kicks out of a fisherman buster on the two count. Omega then lands on his feet after missing a moonsault, allowing Pack to dive and drive Omega face first down onto the canvas with a wicked DDT. Then, in a move that appeared to take its toll on both wrestlers, Pack hits a moonsault from the top turnbuckle and down onto Omega on the outside, with Pack connecting uh, not only with Omega but also crashing feet or ankle first into the crowd barrier. Uh, that certainly looked painful for both individuals. There's a 450 splash getting a two count. Uh, Omega then gets a two count from a buckle bomb and a pop-up spine buster on pack uh, Omega then connects with a Ushi Groshi a V-trigger and a bridging German suplex for a close near fall a two count on that occasion uh, Pack manages to turn an attempted one-winged angel into a brutalizer submission hold with the referee calling for the end of the match, deeming Kenny Omega unable to defend himself. So this was a good match. Uh, not a perfect match, but considering they've not been in the ring together before, uh, there was a lot of chemistry there, a lot of fast-paced action. And uh, it sounds like, or it looks like now, that Pack um, is kind of doing his own thing. He's not under the restrictions of the WWE. Uh, you know, the, the, the breaks have well and truly been taken off. Off, uh, all the shackles have been removed and uh, he's showing us and, and the world what he's capable of but uh, a really good match here between Kenny Omega and Pac yeah Pac um, was fantastic in the area where he was known as Neville I think they sat him with a bit of an unfortunate name and gimmick there but um, he has come on leaps and bounds um, he's kind of took that character and he started to to use on 205 Live and really evolved it um, even go as far as to rename the red arrow the black arrow now, which I like. Um, yeah, that is a great finish. Uh, it's a great finishing move. Um, I think the fact they reversed the one winged angel, which is a move that's always been really well protected into that, does give Omega a little bit of kind of uh get out cause there. But, um, I'm, as an Omega fan, I was disappointed to see him lose. He's now two for two on AEW pay per view, not exactly what you'd call star booking, but again, he's permanently over. I think these fans that won't damage him too much. 
moving forward. Would he have lost against John Moxley, the original opponent? Who knows? And that would be a dream match. And I just pray that that still happens somewhere down the line. But yeah, fantastic match. Both guys coming off looking like the absolute superstar athletes they are. I feel exhausted uh, watching that match uh, and hearing the recap, you know, when I remember some of those high spots. The barrier yeah, and hitting his leg, very painful. Uh, and I was surprised to see him kind of recover so quickly from that. But yeah, I, I think that the way he lost, you know, was uh, not the way I would have liked to see Kenny Omega lose. It doesn't really protect him. It makes him look like he just kind of was exhausted by the end of it more than yeah. anything, and that Pac had more stamina. So considering he's known for his kind of long, enduring matches, I would, perhaps would have seen like a time limit draw, which AEW have done already. Um, and I think for me, that would have been a nice finish, considering how well they seem to know each other and how evenly matched they were. Yeah, I think um, Kenny Omega going zero for two and like I say two losses on on big AEW shows uh, possibly could could play into a a, a bigger mm. storyline that that will eventually involve John Moxley with Moxley coming back from injury saying look you know you're nothing for me to be afraid of you've lost uh, two pay per views running um, so uh, I know that Kenny has produced some quite cutting promos on John Moxley mm. over the last couple of weeks um, so I think that his losses could play into a, a bigger storyline between him and John Moxley further down the road. Um, I also think that we've possibly not seen the last of uh, Pac and Kenny Omega as well. I wouldn't be surprised if there's a rematch between these two further down the line, and uh, that would be a rematch that I'd certainly uh, look forward to. But then moving into uh, match number three on the main card. This was certainly an interesting match, especially for uh, you, you hardcore fans or uh, fans of uh, uh, Falls Count Anywhere or... or um, uh, yeah, the tough matches, but Darby Allen versus Jimmy Havoc versus Joey Janela in what was being billed as a, a cracker barrel clash. So in this match, uh, Havoc starts the match by retrieving a table, a chair and a staple gun from underneath the ring before stapling himself twice in the arm uh, with a staple gun. Uh, then Janela and Darby Allen team up uh, to gaffer tape Jimmy Havoc to a chair before pouring thumbtacks into his mouth, Jimmy Havoc's mouth, uh, and then taping Jimmy Havoc's mouth closed. So, I'm all crikey. It, it just things of things of nightmares. Uh, then we see Darby Allen dive off the top turnbuckle down onto Jimmy Havoc, with him being taped to this chair, thumbtacks in the mouth not good for anybody. Uh, Janela then drops Allen hard onto the edge of the ring apron. This match gets even more crazy with uh, Allen getting smashed through a table. Uh, Janela then landing hard from a missed moonsault from the top turnbuckle to the floor on the outside. Darby Allen then re retrieves a skateboard with tacks uh, covering the bottom of it. Um, and then he, he kind of rides the skateboard um, onto, the, onto the, the back or the side of Joey Janela. Allen then places Jimmy Havoc onto the, the steel ring steps before climbing to the top turnbuckle to attempt a coffin drop with a, the cracker barrel with a wooden barrel held against a pressed against his back. But Havoc moves uh, wisely enough, um, causing Allen to crash hard onto the ring steps, finding nothing but cracker barrel. Um, Jimmy Havoc then gets the pinfall victory uh, amazingly considering everything he's been through after first delivering a top rope suplex on Joey Janela uh, going partially through another cracker barrel uh, placed in the center of the ring and then Havoc drives Janela completely through the barrel on the second attempt this time with his acid rain clothesline so this was a, a crazy crazy match um, all the gimmicks under the sun or all the gimmicks under the ring you could say uh, but uh, what did you think of this one between Darby Allen, Jimmy Havoc and Joey Janela? Pretty a pretty wild match, Chris. 
Yeah, I wasn't necessarily looking forward to this match. Um, in general, I'm not a huge fan of kind of hardcore matches. Uh, what I would say, though, however, is that it was extremely entertaining. And um, Alan himself, I'm a big fan of his. I'm not sure if you've seen any of his kind of uh, stories and videos that they had building up to it. But he really has got a very kind of emotional and inspiring story. Um, he used to be a pro skater. That's why the skateboard was introduced with right. thumbtacks on it. And he did kind of literally ride it onto him. The yeah. things that you mentioned in that that I have never seen as a wrestling fan. Exhibit A, thumbtacks in the mouth. So, <laughs> that was wow. Fantastic. Yeah, it was just fantastic. Um, you know, I, I didn't really care who won by that point. Um, the coffin drop, it makes me feel sick a bit, that move, to watch him do it. I love it. But he did it against Cody Rhodes as well. Did, yeah. Fest, and it, it's just so impactful. And the barrel may have saved him there. Um, but I don't want to keep seeing him doing that onto stuff like steps. Uh, That's going to shorten his career for sure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, for sure. So, yeah, a fantastically entertaining match. Janela is definitely over. Um, his match with John Moxley was very good, I thought. Um, Jimmy Havoc, yeah, he's again, he needs some introduction, really. Some fantastic original spots. And I think they took some that could have been very trashy, uh, but actually had a lot of innovation in there. And um, it's so nice to just see the occasional gimmick match. There was only one ladder match in this and one uh, hardcore match. And I think yes. if they keep to that, I think that's absolutely key. Uh, we all know what happened with WWE when they ended up having like four Hell in a Cell matches on one pay-per-view, you know, okay. that it's not great. So in my mind, yeah, a little bit uh, less is more. And um, yeah, a few more like that wouldn't go amiss. Fantastic, fantastic. But uh, moving on to the next match. Now, this uh, is a match that Ash Trawford uh, would be a big fan of because I know that he's a big fan of the Dark Order. Um, but uh, uh, Grayson and Evil Ono, the Dark Order, going up against uh, Chucky T and Trent Bretta, the best friends. And the winner of this match, there is a stipulation, the winner of this match gets a bye in the first round of the tag team tournament, which commences on this uh, the 9th of October, of course. So in this match, the Dark Order get a close near fall from a, an Enziguri brain Buster combination on Trent Beretta. Uh, Chucky T then hits a, a standing sliced bread on Evil Uno Ono before nailing a somersault sent on over the top rope onto both of his heel opponents. Uh, there's several near falls uh, for the best friends in this match, but it's the Dark Order who get the next um, near fall with a cannibal sent on from Evil Ono onto Bretta um, after a, a lazy cover. Um, if I'm being honest with you, he could have uh, done a bit more there yeah. with the cover. There's another close near fall from uh, the, the Order after some excellent double team action and. And then Chucky T delivers, and I think he calls it an awful waffle uh, for a two count. Uh, it's quite a unique uh, name there. Uh, we then have some action on the outside of the ring with uh, the Minions getting involved, throwing Taylor into the steel ring steps. Uh, the match comes to an end with the Dark Order nailing there. Uh, I, I think they call it the Fatality mm -hmm. uh, finisher on Beretta after a very good back and forth tag match all in all with uh, plenty of great action for both teams. The lights then go out in the arena, much like we saw at Double or Nothing with the, the Minions appearing and the Dark Order attacking whoever was in the ring back then. Uh, but then when the lights came back on, we saw Orange Cassidy in the ring. Um, so the most relaxed professional wrestler in the whole world. Uh, and with his hands still tucked firmly into his pockets, Cassidy performs a dive through the ropes onto the Dark Order and the Minions on the outside, uh, saving Chucky e. T and Trent Beretta from being carried away, uh, bringing together 
together, kind of an alliance between the three, the best friends and Orange Cassidy. And uh, Orange Cassidy's hands didn't leave his pockets once, Chris. So quite <laughs> impressive. Uh, does that make him the best or the worst professional wrestler in the world? I don't know. But uh, they've got, I'd love to know your thoughts on, on this tag match and kind of uh, the, the closing segment with uh, yeah. the appearance of Orange Cassidy. Of course, yeah. I mean, this was the third tag match um, out of four over the, over the night. So I mentioned this before. It can get a bit overkill sometimes, you know, with these spectacular spots match. They're, they're great. But, yeah, sometimes you can see a little too much. I think, to be honest, I wasn't particularly looking forward to this match. Sorry, Ash. Um, but, um, you know, at the same time, the Dark Order, again, have a, an interesting gimmick. They bring something a little bit different. I do like their fatali- fatali- sorry, fatality finisher, I should say. Yeah. Um, but yeah, a good match, quite solid. Um, it's good to, that they have this kind of tag team tournament to keep referring to, to give it a bit of uh, variance compared to the other matches, I guess, to give it some stipulation. Uh, I need to talk about Orange Cassidy. Love the guy. Yeah, I think that's a real <laughs> interesting gimmick. It's very unique. Um, I didn't realize how short he was, though, until he stood in the middle of the kind of best friend sandwich after they hugged him. Uh, he's quite small. Um, but at the same time, I don't know a lot about him. But what I've seen so far, it's made me laugh like more than once. And at the end of the day, as a cynical old wrestling fan, anything new like that that can make me chuckle, I, I think it's worth a shot. So you know, good on the Dark Order. I think they'll make, again, good heagle opponents. This is what we need uh, for someone like Private Party. I'd like to see them to go up against each other. Um, but yeah, moving forward, we'll see about the best friends. Um, I do worry they'll get lost in the shuffle a bit. They're very talented. But yeah, in, in a whole company of very talented tag teams, it's going to be interesting to see who can genuinely kind of rise to the top and remain stars once the kind of young bucks naturally, uh, I think, wind down and retire. Because right now, between them, and we'll get to this, um, but the Lucha Bros, there's no one there. Mm, okay yep some good points there but uh, then we get to um our joshi match for the evening um mm. now, for those of you that listen to the double or nothing review you know that i i am probably more than likely going to butcher uh the names of these japanese competitors but uh, i know uh rihu uh, Re- uh versus um haraku shida how did i do there chris was that, was that okay <laughs> better than me I, I tried to actually phonetically spell that out on my pad so i'd make sure i get that right so well done so uh, I'm just going to refer to Shida and Riho. I can manage that. But uh, this was actually uh, announced prior to the show as being uh, another number one contenders match. So the winner of this will go up against Nyla Rose, who won the uh, the women's casino battle royal in the buy-in portion of the pay-per-view um, on the very first TNT Wednesday at Dynamite. So in a few weeks time. Uh, so one, inter- one interesting fact given to us by the commentary team um, of JR and Excalibur is that uh, Rihu is a 13-year profession- uh, professional wrestler or veteran, you could say. Um, but uh, when you factor in the fact that she's only 22 years of age, meant that she started training or started wrestling at the age of nine. Uh, so quite astonishing, to be honest with you. Um, so these two are on the same side in the six-woman Joshi Tag Max match back in uh, May, double or nothing. Uh, but in this match, uh, Rihu hits a hanging double stomp, uh, a running meteora, which got a two count. Uh, Ryu then gets uh, up to the top and misses a double stomp of her own, but Shida counters into a backbreaker and then gets a great near fall. Uh, Shida then goes for a slam, but Ryu cradles her for a two count, and then Ryu counters into a tilt of the world, into a cradle for the win. So uh, Ryu defeated Shida, um, Haraku Shida, um, after 13 minutes by pinfall. And it's going to be uh, Ryu who goes on to face Nyla Rose for the mm-hmm. AEW Women's World Championship. So give us your brief thoughts on this Joshi match, uh, number one contenders match, Chris. 
I think one thing that AEW is doing very well, actually, is offering, perhaps apart from the tag matches, um, quite a bit of variety. Um, so if you compare this to something like the hardcore match uh, or the ladder match, you know, it, it's certainly very different. And um, Riho has looked like a star from the start. Um, you mentioned her age, which I was going to mention, just incredible uh, to see that. And I think setting her up against Nyla Rose, who um, Riho actually did pin Rose at Fire, Fire Fest, so it gives a natural kind of um, spark to that that feud. Yeah, good point. I, th- I think seeing Riho against Nyla Rose, not just from how that would actually look on on camera, you know, due to their different sizes, but stylistically, uh, I think uh, someone like Rose would love to work with someone small like that and all the kind of uh, imaginative kind of aerial flips they could get up to there. You know, it's always nice to kind of, it reminds me of a uh, kind of Ray Mysterio versus Big Show. You know, there's, you can get a lot done with a little man, kind of big man or little woman, big woman combination, I should say. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I think stylistically that's going to be very good. This match itself was fine. I didn't think it was particularly uh, special. Uh, roll up for the finish, um, protecting uh, Sheila somewhat. Um, but, yeah, I think it excited me more about the potential of that women's title match, which we'll see very soon. Mm, and then we go to our next match. This is a big grudge match. Uh, Cody, uh, don't call me Rhodes versus Sean Spears. So in this match, this match has really captured everybody's imagination, uh, especially since the chair shot heard around the world a few weeks ago at uh, Fight for the Fallen, I believe it was. Cody is accompanied by his wife, Brandy, DDP, uh, MJF and Cody's dog, Pharaoh, And they're all dressed uh, in a bit of a homage to Star Trek, if you noticed. Uh, Cody then selects MJF to be in his corner, his corner man to counter Tully Blanchard who is uh, Sean Spears' manager or corner man for want of a better word in this match as well. So the match starts promptly with Cody nailing Spears with the tope, uh, taking the match to the outside immediately, with Cody taking the fight to Spears, brawling through the crowd um, and around the arena to start off with Tully Blanchard then gets involved with a low blow, giving Spears a brief advantage. Uh, but where was MJF on that on that exchange, you might ask yourself. Cody then pulls out a top rope Hurricanrana, which is a move you wouldn't necessarily associate with Cody. Uh, Cody then gets driven shoulder first into the steel ring post. But uh, with Cody down, Spears starts to shove the referee around while Tully Blanchard gets up onto the ring. And then uh, he hands Sean Spears his own belt to use to whip Cody across the back with which he does a few times and I think he even lays in a uh, a whip to the chest or to the face of Cody this only goes to kind of fire up Cody Uh, Cody connects with a springboard cutter before applying a figure four leg lock which uh, Sean Spears reverses into like an Indian death lock of sorts Spears then hits a Death Valley driver, uh, driving Cody into the steel rampway on the outside. That definitely looked painful. Uh, Cody then hits a crossroads from out of nowhere. But it's uh, further interference from uh, Tully Blanchard on the outside that prevents the referee from making the count. Then we get Tully Blanchard coming into the ring, appearing to go after MJF, only until MJF is taken out by Sean Spears. Then we got double A, Arn Anderson, who is seen enough and comes down to the ring to hit Spears with a wicked spine buster uh, to the loud approval from the fans in the Sears Centre. Tully Blanchard, former best friend and former horseman member of Arn Anderson, looks on in shock. And that's pretty much all we see of him for the rest of the match. Spear then Spears then gets a, a chair from underneath the ring, but it's Cody who ends up with the chair. But instead of choosing to use it himself, he throws it down to the canvas. Spears then grabs the chair, but with Cody not missing a beat, he 
hits Spears with a disaster kick and the chair goes into Sean Spears, smashing the chair into his face. Cody then connects with a crossroads, grabbing the leg uh, and then getting the one, two, three in the pinfall victory against Sean Spears. So uh, we then get a tease of a bit of a heel turn from MJF on Cody. However, MJF and Cody hug in the centre of the ring. So I'm sure there's further development to be had between those two as Cody celebrates the win over Sean Spears. So Chris, uh, there is more booking in this match. You'll find on an average episode of Monday Night Raw but what did it work for you uh, the fans certainly <laughs> enjoyed it uh, did you that's funny you said that that's exactly the note I have I said ironically uh, for someone so hell bent on now taking down WWE that was the most WWE match uh, that I've seen in AEW mm. um, yeah Cody really should feel a little bit guilty about using some of the old tricks I wouldn't necessarily say it was over but it was very close to being that way uh, you had the weapons involved the corner men yeah that's literally my note it was a very kind of WWE style overbooked match um, however I did really like the build up to this match I'm not sure if you count any of it on uh, the road to uh, All Out. But yeah, the, the story that they told lead up to it, Tully's involvement, uh, I really liked it. Uh, as a man who didn't know a terrible amount about the Perfect Ten, Sean Spears, they've done a good job of immediately kind of shoving him in there. Um, great entrances from both. Just want to quickly mention, you mentioned the Star Trek entrance, which was great. Not really sure why Cody's done that, but he's often one to reference pop culture. Uh, yeah. But Sean Spears actually really liked that entrance. A silhouette with his hood up, sitting on the very famous, like you said, chair that represents the chair shot heard around the world. Yes. And then the kind of contact lens, the slow reveal by Tully of his, his face, you know, under the hood. I, I thought it was a really good dramatic entrance. And I liked the, the differences there. Um, I suppose the only point is I wouldn't have Cody decided in a match of that magnitude and that uh, grudge match to have anything kind of like that. No Star Trek entrance. Do you know what I mean? I would have marched straight down to the ring, almost no music. And then the fact that he hit that kind of tope through the turnbuckle straight away, that's more of what I would have done. Uh, I don't want to take away from a grand entrance, but yeah, it felt almost kind of silly considering the magnitude of the match. Um, Cody's leading by example in AEW, though. He's taking beatings left, right, and center. The last three matches have been quite heavy, uh, similarized. And he's either getting whipped or bled or, or getting beaten about or obviously bleeding very profusely from the head. So, um, you know, as the leader of AEW, almost, he really is kind of leading by example. Uh, like most people, and I think I even posted in your Facebook group, John, that I, I felt sure MJF would turn. Uh, absolutely, I did, um, considering the build they've had as friends. But, you know, again, MJF as a super heel, it's weird to see him play that kind of best friend role. So, again, you know, that's probably going to come to fruition sooner or later. I, mean, I think it has to, really. Um, but, yeah, uh, I thought it was a really good match um, overall, apart from perhaps the overbooking. Great to see Double I did pop for that picture-perfect spine buster. Nobody does it better, and nobody ever will. Um, but, yeah, I, I quite, you know, it was the right finish. Um, Cody, you know, got his revenge, as he should have done. Uh, and in the end of the day, it was just a good, satisfying match. Unfortunately, not a patch on, I think, the previous two Cody matches, uh, yeah. which I probably enjoyed a little more. Uh, having said that, yeah, that is a good example of how you build a good storyline and bring it to a satisfying conclusion. Very good, very good. I mean, like I say, the only change I would have made, mm. and it's not not a small thing, I probably would have had Sean Spears go over, to be honest with you. I think that right. uh, we've, we've spoken about establishing new stars, and mm. I think that uh, Sean Spears uh, coming into this, the build, it's, it's probably had the best build of all the matches mm. at yeah. All Out, as you rightly acknowledged. And I think that um, so that uh, it would 
probably uh, lengthen the feud between these two. I probably would have had it go the other way. But like you say, considering all the interference and the way it was booked, I think under the circumstances, the way the match played out and the story of the match, uh, the right person won uh, under the circumstances last night. But uh, no, a good match. Speaking of good matches, Chris, uh, we, we have our kind of second to last match and it's for the the Triple uh, R or the Triple A Tag Team Championships. And uh, we had Ray Phoenix and uh, Pentagon, uh, better known as the Lucha Brothers, going up against uh, another set of brothers, the Young Bucks. Um, and uh, this was just a balls to the wall, 100 miles an hour. Uh, there's one spot in this match where Nick Jackson springboards himself onto the ladder, uh, which gets tripped over only for Matt Jackson to bounce off the ropes onto his opponents on the outside this spot was copied almost spot for spot for spot a moment later by ray phoenix um there's huge aw chance from the fans in chicago nick jackson then dives through the ropes uh dives through the ladder uh, inside the ring onto his opponent on the outside which was a pretty awesome spot there then with the ladder and a table set up inside the ring uh, penta hits a canadian destroyer on matt jackson off the top of the ladder through the table down below and that was a crazy crazy move um i've never seen anything like that before there's, there's a, a, a double ladder slash double table dive on the outside um so so there was there was two ladders on the outside you had i think nick jackson and uh one of the lucha brothers on the ring apron and they get to kind of dived through the ropes onto the table uh just some crazy work here using the ladders and the table to their advantage um then penta and ray execute a a package Melts a driver onto the ladder set up on the outside, which was absolutely crazy. Finally, Penta and Ray Phoenix climbed the ladders to grab the titles and regain the tag titles from above. Then, after the match, the Lucha Brothers get attacked from some masked individuals inside the ring uh, before the masked attackers turn their attention to the Bucks. And the masked individuals turn out to be none other than LAX, uh, Santana and Ortiz. Looking at the match, first of all, Chris, it was a crazy spot-filled match. Um, where I, I I don't know how you know the individuals weren't hospitalised after this one. They did take some crazy bumps off the ladders, some crazy bumps on the ladders and through the tables. Um, just everything and anything that could have happened in a ladder match we saw last night between the Young Bucks and the Lucha Brothers. Um, but uh, what were your thoughts on this one with the, with the Lucha Brothers uh, retaining their Triple R Tag Team Championships? Yeah, good on them. Um, they are genuinely over the Lucha Brothers and just a fantastic tag team. I didn't know a lot about them before I became a fan of AEW and I won't forget them now. Just incredible. Um, what a match. You did a good job of recapping that there, John, to be honest, because so much happened and so much more was in that match than perhaps even needed to be. If they went out to steal the show, they did it and then some. Um, I generally could, there was a, a chant of fight forever and I couldn't not support that view more. I generally could watch these teams go at each other um, uh, forevermore um there was concern about phoenix beforehand and a leg injury yeah, exactly um, that was disgusting you wouldn't know it um i was re-watching some of the the match from fighter fest and the kicks are so vicious and so innovative there's a spot where phoenix almost kind of runs up the turnbuckle twirls in midair and almost gives a real kind of backwards heel kick and it, it's just phenomenal um there was a i mean it's difficult to actually recap everything that happened because it was so much but there was a flipping kind of pile driver off the ladder there was a moment where Nick Jackson kind of leapt off the ladder 
onto the outside as if that wasn't enough. He turned it into a flare as well and kind of turned him in there. It, it, it's just genuinely difficult to describe this match in any detail that gives it justice. I think everyone listening should generally go watch this match because it is, it is shocking how good it is and how many stunts were in there. And um, adding LAX to the, the kind of post-match was, was great. I haven't seen a lot of them since TNA. It's a different team. It's not the original Conan, uh, Homicide. You know, it's not those guys. Um, but yeah, it is a continuation of that group that originated in TNA. Um, and yeah, I've just kind of underlined again, of Lucha Brothers stars, you know, considering how over the Young Bucks are, what big fan I am of them, it took a lot for me to kind of get behind the Lucha Brothers more. And I ended up, you know, hoping they would win, and they did. Um, I'm just exhausted thinking about it. It's, it was a truly spectacular match, and I felt bad for whoever was going on next, and we all know who that was. Yeah, so it was it was a hell of a match, and uh, yeah, I think it went about 25 minutes, and yeah. pretty much gave you everything that you would uh, expect or hope to see from a ladder match and more. But to moving on to our main events, so this is the for the for the first uh, the first ever match for the AEW World Championship, and it features uh, Chris Jericho, um, who of course won his match against uh, uh, Kenny Omega in the main event of Double or Nothing to qualify as the number one contender for this match. Versus Adam Page, the Hangman, who of course won the twenty one man Casino Battle Royal um, at Double or Nothing to earn uh, his spot in the World Championship match. But uh, going through some of the key uh, spots in this match, there's a suicide dive from Hangman sending Jericho hard into the barricade at ringside almost from the off there uh, hangman then attempts a running shoot as our press off the ring apron only to be caught by chris jericho as he counters with a code breaker on the floor um and with page just making it back to the ring to beat the referee's 10 counts after that move uh, jericho launches page off the ring apron again hard into the barricade possibly damaging adam page's elbow which plays a part in the rest of the match we are reminded that in AW championships can change hands on a count out or a submission. So that's a quite a refreshing yeah. rule change there, which uh, they did play up quite a bit in points during this match. Uh, Jericho continues to break down Adam Page, paying particular attention to his injured arm. Uh, Page manages to get a two counts from a, a successful running shoot to Sar Press this time round. Adam Page floors Jericho with a discus punch to the eye, with Jericho appearing to be bleeding from just above his eye. And this is, of course, uh, very reminiscent of what Jericho did to Page after busting him open after his match with Kip Sapien at Fight for the Fallen with that code breaker. Uh, Page then nails Jericho with an avalanche netbreaker from the top turnbuckle for a two count. Page then connects with his, uh, his buckshot lariat, but uh, Jericho rolls through on the dead eye transitioning into a walls of Jericho. Jericho nearly gets DQ'd by getting into a bit of a uh, shouting, shoving exchange with the referee Aubrey Edwards. Uh, Adam Page then drops Jericho with a moonsault from the top turnbuckle onto the outside, which was pretty stunning. Um, Page then goes for his buckshot lariat again only to be caught by a code break from Jericho for a close near fall from Chris Jericho. Then, with Page about to go for another discus lariat, Chris Jericho then delivers his Judas effect rolling back elbow to drop his opponent before Jericho hooks the leg and gets the 1-2-3 pinfall victory to become the first ever AEW World Champion. So this was a really good match. Great way to cap off the show. I must admit the fans were a little bit quiet during portions of this match, so maybe that's an indication that it was quite a long show all in all. Um, but... Um, 
the match went 25 minutes and uh, as I predicted in the preview show and I think a lot of people predicted uh, we've got a heel as AEW's first world champion uh, but uh, Chris Jericho is that champion uh, what were your thoughts on this match Chris? Yeah it was a really good match um, I think there was naturally a bit of burnout uh, by this point it was a long show um, it came after arguably the match of the night with the Young Bucks and Lucha Brothers. So I can't blame him for being a little bit deflated after that. Um, you've kind of, you know, you've pretty much done the recap there. I will just talk about, yeah, that moonsault into a code breaker, which looked vicious as hell. Um, it was really kind of looked ugly almost. And I preferred that. I didn't, you know, I liked the way it didn't look that clean, uh, to be honest. Um, let, you know, let's talk about, yeah, what they've, they've done there as a booking decision, I think. Um, he is, it was a shock to me. Um, I would have liked to have seen, like the majority of people, I think, Hangman Page win. Um, but I've had some time to reflect on this overnight. And I think maybe uh, they have gone with the right call there, ultimately. You can have Hangman chasing Jericho now, and Jericho can do everything in his power as a heel to defend that belt. And he can be very entertaining when he's trying to get away with murder. Um, it's nice to, quick note about the refs, as you mentioned, it's nice to see them have a bit of power and a bit of authority, actually. It's the second time of the night where a referee had kind of stood up to the talent and I like that. I like the threat of a title loss through DQ or count out as well, as you mentioned. So it was a good match. Um, as promised, he rode in on a horse, Adam Page. That was some cowboy shit. I was very pleased to see that <laughs> personally. Uh, yeah. Jericho, as per usual, consummate entertainer. Um, he reminded me a little of his match with Omega, some of the kind of uh, heel-like tactics he was pulling out. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was it was a good, solid match. And I think it was better than the Omega-Jericho match. It felt more Jericho's alley. I think he had more control over it. Perhaps he didn't feel the pressure so much or perhaps as a hangman was a younger talent he felt he had to lead the match a little more but he definitely to me seemed kind of more relaxed and, and definitely in his field um so yeah it's all about i think who they've chosen to go with there um even though i can see it makes a lot of sense and perhaps it's something they kind of almost owe to jericho as he's helped you know bring up the image of AEW so much but do you want as a casual fan the face of AEW to be no disrespect to him, but kind of old and haggard looking, or would you like someone like Hangman Page? I don't know what you think about this, John, but moving aside from the fact that we can continue this story, going into the TV show, uh, you know, do you think, you know, it's the right call? I, I absolutely think it's the right call. I mean, besides the fact that uh, Chris Jericho's um, got uh, more of a, a dad bod than <laughs> uh, than I have at the moment, uh, and what he did is he's kind of flexed to the camera. It um, he probably would have done himself favours if he hadn't done that. To be honest with you, but uh, I think it is the, the the right call. And as I explained in the preview show, I think having somebody of the the name value and uh, somebody that can carry off the the heel uh, persona, the heel gimmick, as well as Chris Jericho does. And I think that Chris Jericho, even to this day, with what he's doing in uh, in AEW, is the best heel in the business, without a shadow of a doubt. So I think he's definitely the best person to hold the title. It opens up the story so that there's going to be baby faces involved, possibly uh, the Omega or or a hangman page chasing for the title. And I think that uh, when you've got a world championship, it's always better being on a heel so that you have that natural storyline of a babyface chasing for the title, which always is, is more intriguing for the fans um, and builds to better storylines and bigger ratings and, and all that. Uh, but I think it's especially... It, it, 
Chris Jericho is the biggest name they have. And I think that uh, if that is the case, and if he is the biggest name they have and the best heel in the business, then the title rightfully belongs to him. Um, so I think that now we look forward to, to the chase uh, with uh, the TNT show Wednesday Night Dynamite starting in a few weeks' time. And that chase is going to be, um, I, I think, on one of the first weeks Chris Jericho is going to be defending the championship. So it'll be interesting to see who he defends it against, whether it be a rematch against uh, uh, Hangman Page or a rematch against uh, Kenny Omega from Double or Nothing. But um, I think it's the right choice. And uh, I, I think that it might not be necessarily the popular choice, but I think from a business perspective, um, it, it's the right thing to do. And it's got people talking as well. And like I say, it does lead to that baby face chase, which will add to uh, um, better TV, better TV um, in the future. So yes, uh, I'm definitely all in for this, uh, for this move of putting the belt on Chris Jericho. But uh, yeah, all in all, I thought all out definitely delivered. I mean, certainly highlights as far as I'm concerned, that main event certainly stands out. Um, um, I, I did enjoy the Cody Rhodes versus uh, Sean Spears match. I think it was, was slightly overproduced to a certain degree, um, and I would have liked a slightly different outcome. But that that's you know just my personal opinion. Uh, match of the night has to go to uh, the Lucha Brothers versus the Young Bucks. Um, and uh, um, if anything, with that, you know, maybe they took a bit too much punishment. Maybe they could have rested a bit between big spots and, and sold some of the moves a bit more, in my opinion. Um, I'm a big proponent of storytelling in the ring and a big proponent of, of kind of selling the moves. And with, with some of their moves, you know, it would have been enough to keep any normal person down for, for, for weeks. And why, you know, just a little bit more selling. Um, I do think that... AW's main flaw, in my opinion, now I might be the only person that thinks this, but the only flaw in my opinion is that a lot of the matches tend to look the same with fast paced, big spots um, and uh, not an awful lot of selling. So what would you say to that argument, Chris? Yeah, I, I hate, as a big fan, I hate to kind of agree with you, but um, I made the point earlier about perhaps um, maybe too many tag matches, um, you know, four in a night perhaps. Um, and I think, yeah, those matches are particularly guilty of running through a lot of high spots um, and very little selling. And you're right, when I look back, you know, to some of my favourite matches in the last pay-per-views, it's, it's the slower ones, you know, it's ones that do feature talents like Cody Rhodes who, who know yes. how to sell and know how to build a story. I, I take that criticism on. And you know, I think they do probably too. I think in terms of producing that highlight reel footage, you know, that's perhaps the world we live in now, yeah. um, you know, to, to build it up. But I think, yeah, as long as they can keep a rough balance between the matches, um, it wouldn't be too much of a problem. But yeah, I think they need to cut back just a little on some of those tag matches feeling quite similar. Um, as I said, the time we got to that Dark Order match, even I was a little bit spent and it was only um, the innovation in the kind of Lucha Brothers Bucks match that kind of, got me really excited again about it but they are such fans of tag team wrestling because of the box i don't think they're going to stop that kind of match anytime soon that's the match that made them essentially that style but yeah they do need to balance that a little so i agree with that i think it's a fair criticism and hopefully they can um you know, slow it down a little once they've kind of got into their rhythm and um they they feel more confident perhaps uh, in their yeah, I, storytelling ability I think you're absolutely right. They need to they need to find the rhythm. They need to find their groove, and they need to kind of uh, figure out what that groove looks like, and you know uh, how it's going to play out for the long run. But I don't want them to be, uh, you know, 
uh, saddled with the gimmick of being the spot fest company mm. or you know the, the company that, that doesn't tell stories in the ring and like I say they did it so well when Cody and Dustin went at it at double or nothing uh, to the point where I still think that's uh, one of the best matches of the, of the year and certainly the best match that those two individuals have ever had um, but uh, all in all definitely a thumbs up show from me I'm sure it's a thumbs up show from yourself as well Chris yeah if this is going to be their kind of uh, almost Wrestlemania I can see uh, an all out happening at Chicago perhaps every year or maybe a different venue then it, it didn't um, it didn't under deliver I think the fact that they had to replace one of the main events and arguably um, one the most anticipated ones with Moxley versus Omega. I think full credit to them for that, really, because that was a big disappointment. Um, maybe that would have made the show a little bit better. I'd give it a good kind of solid four out of five stars. And but you know, I admit there was there were matches where my interest was waning. But again, considering they're a new company and the amount of content they're producing, um, this was probably just about the peak. Maybe uh, Double or Nothing was just behind. Good point. Good point. So, I mean, as, as, as we move forward, we, we've got uh, Wednesday Night Dynamite starting in a few weeks time from the 2nd of October. That's going to be their new weekly show. There was a talk, I think it might have been on this show or possibly I've heard rumours on the internet of being uh, another pay-per-view happening in November. So there's lots of AEW content to look forward to. But Chris, that draws a, a close to this uh, AEW All Out pay-per-view review. So thank you so much for being a part of this podcast. I really appreciate it. I can't wait to get you on to talk more AEW in the future. Yeah, I loved it. Thanks again for having me on. Um, you know, I'm going to remain a fan, obviously, and continue to be a proponent of it. So uh, rest assured, whenever a show is there, I'll be there too. Cool, cool. So uh, we'll be back again on Friday of this week coming, where we'll be doing our usual recap of NXT and NXT UK. And I'll be joined by uh, uh, guest host from previous podcast, Dan Grantham. Um, Chris, just coming back to you briefly, have you got any any social media that if any of our listeners want to reach out to, where can they find you on Instagram or Twitter? Yeah. Uh, do you want to throw out a few plugs? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Yeah, um, they can find me on Instagram at grizzyt5. Um, that's uh, C H R. I double Z Y T five at Instagram. Um, and, um, Twitter is, uh, uh, at C Topher 82. Um, if you like talking about Arsenal football club, who are currently losing to Spurs, I might add, <laughs> uh, if you like talking about wrestling, uh, if you like talking about the Simpsons, then, uh, I'm sure you'll find plenty to enjoy, uh, on those channels. Superb. Well, thank you again, Chris. And if you want to reach out to the Wrestling with Jonas podcast, you can on Twitter. You'll find us there at with Jonas underscore pod on Instagram at Wrestling with Jonas and search for our Facebook community page. Just simply search Wrestling with Jonas. But for this week and uh, from yourself and from Chris, that uh, is all we have to offer. Uh, join us again uh, later on this evening where we'll be dropping uh, episode 64, which is going to be our NXT UK takeover Cardiff review with uh, David Anderson and Matt Bayliss uh, comprising our three man booth. Um, uh, but for this episode from myself and from Chris, thank you for listening. Take care and enjoy the rest of your weekend. 